Who? Uh, what is your favourite ever historic Eurovision entry? Oh, I know God, what mine is. I'm really like, honestly. Um, <laughs> Ask me what mine is. Well, I can't think of one, but what's yours? <laughs> Katrina and the Waves. The successful verlede of Katrina and the Waves uitte zich in een aantal grote hits. Sun Street, Do You Want Crying, and vooral Walking on Sunshine. Weirdly, the only thing I can think of they did was Walking on Sunshine, which I was thinking wasn't their Eurovision entry. Was it Love Shine a Light? Love Shannon Light. Yeah. Oh, what about, um, oh, God, she used to be in that terrible sitcom, you know, Bread, with the, <laughs> with the ginger hair. This is the last time ago. you watched TV. Yeah, probably when I was about <laughs> eight, maybe. Yeah, Sonia, Sonia. There you go, from about 1988. What's the song? God knows. Probably terrible. <laughs> Right, okay, so, <clears throat> good? Yeah. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. This week, I'm here with senior economist at NEF, James Meadway, who's talking to us about the UK's first fall into deflation since the 1960s. <laughs> The last time inflation turned negative, Harold Macmillan was Prime Minister and the average household income was less than £1,000 a year. So this strong combination of rising wages and falling prices is good news for families and it shows the benefit of an economic plan that's working. It's not damaging deflation. This is not the kind of deflation people got so worried about in the 1930s or indeed in Japan in the 90s. Of course the Chancellor's not worried about it. He thinks it's OK because he's the Chancellor. In other words, keep shopping. Keep selling out on white goods like these, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get that feel-good boom we've been dreaming of. So cast your minds back uh, to the far-flung heady days of March 2015, and you may remember uh, on one of our previous podcasts that Bank of England had said deflation is close, but don't worry. But James Meadway was more concerned. So last week, the inflation figures came in, the monthly inflation figures, or rather the deflation figures, or as some people are calling it, negative inflation. James, is there a difference uh, between negative inflation and deflation? And what does all this mean? Well, first of all, not really. I mean, deflation is just when instead of having prices that go up consistently over time, so this is inflation, this is what we're used to and have been for a long, long period of time, you have prices that are falling in general over a period of time. So that's negative inflation, prices falling rather than prices rising. There isn't really a difference. I think there's a bit of a concern not to call what we have deflation because it sounds a bit sort of ominous and 1930s style. So that's kind of why there's an inclination to say, oh, it's not really deflation, it's negative inflation. It's a kind of semantic issue, really. Okay, um, and so what, what what are we looking at if we're looking at deflation? Well, what are you looking at? I mean, it's not really even very much deflation. What it says is that consumer price index, which is the measure the government uses to work out how much prices are changing on average, is now uh, registering at minus 0.1%. So it means that since April last year, uh, prices in general have fallen by uh, 0.1%. So it's not really huge. It's just kind of unusual. We really haven't seen anything like this on this measure since 1960. Okay, it might just be me, but I hadn't really noticed that prices had, had, had changed. 
what prices have gone down? Well, this this is the thing. It's because it's an average measure. When you when you're putting all these uh, prices together, trying to work out uh, what the rate of inflation is, there's no single rate of inflation really. Lots and lots of goods and services out there all change their prices in lots and lots of different ways. So the idea with the headline rate is you kind of take an average of all these things based on what an average person, typical consumer, buys, and work out from that what the typical rate of price change is. But that means that some stuff has really uh, dropped in price. I mean, all of this really comes out of uh, a big decline in the oil price over last year. So things like the petrol that you buy, uh, petrol stations has gone down by about 26% in the last year. Food in general has fallen 3%. And then some things have actually gone up in price quite substantially over the last year. The, the price of education is up about 10% if you happen to pay for that. Ah, okay. Um, but uh, overall, uh, minus that uh, little tidbit about uh, education, this means that things are getting cheaper, a bit like the Boxing Day sales at an, an out-of-town uh, retail park. Is this not good? Well, it, it'd be a kind of slightly disappointing uh, Boxing Day sale of a minus 0.1% reduction. But yeah, it does mean basically that everybody's getting ever so slightly better off. And depending on what you buy, I mean, I suppose if you're buying out loads and loads of education of one form or another, you're not doing too well. But if you're um, if you're just buying food, you'd have found that your money goes a little bit further. If you're buying, if you're having to fill up a car, your money goes a bit further. So in general, this is helping make people a bit better off than they were and has done for the last few months. Uh, this is after you know, six years of basically falling living standards for most people. So it's a bit of a boost in the short term. So how long does this have to go on for before it becomes a bad thing? How cheap is too cheap? Well, the, the issue here is is what happens next, because it's not just um, you or I who go, oh, good, everything costs a bit less, my money goes further, that's nice. The difficulties come when the kind of the second round of effects kick in. So if you have a temporary bit of deflation, probably nothing to worry about. This is what the Bank of England thinks will happen. If it starts to embed itself, so if, for instance, the people who are trying to sell you things start saying, oh, dear, everything we're trying to sell is now selling for less, we have to cut costs. Some of our costs include what we pay people who work for us, so we're going to cut their wages. Or if we can't cut their wages, we'll just lay them off. That's the point at which it tips from being a bit of a boost and a bit of a bonus for most people into being a, a quite a serious problem, that you have this knock-on effect, which is that instead of you're getting richer, or most people are getting rich because prices are falling, because prices are falling, wages are starting to get pushed down as well. That's the point where it starts to become a serious problem. But everyone, you know, including the Bank of England, is saying that this isn't going to happen. Um, so, I don't know, for, for most people uh, and the headlines, uh, it's it's a spring sale. Everything's getting a bit cheaper. Uh, and prices will recover. So why isn't that true? Well, it could be. I mean, look, the Bank of England, in its inflation forecasting and its big reports it puts out, thinks that basically what's going to happen is that because the price of oil is rising again, uh, because unemployment is coming down, uh, and because they think productivity is going to pick up, uh, between all these things, everyone's just going to get paid more money. When they get paid more money, suppliers will put up prices, and that'll just drag everything back out of this deflationary blip that we're in. For that to happen, the key to this is that people have to be paid more money. That's the hinge of what the Bank of England are saying. Now, that's a real problem, because if you look at the labour market in Britain, really very clearly since the recession, you find lots and lots of people in zero-hours contracts, uh, underemployed, uh, real wages have been dropping and dropping for years. This is not a labour market where people are in a good position to bargain with their employers, and that means they're not going to win those pay increases. If you look at employer surveys, about half of them, nearly half of them, say at the minute they're not planning on making any pay awards this year. So the chances of the Bank of England's, you know, quite rosy view of the world coming through depends critically on what happens to the labour market and what happens to people's pay. If they want the good outcome to arrive, people have to start being paid more. 
Okay, is it all about kind of confidence? Is this what the the, the commentators are kind of... Yeah, that's the other thing. They, they say things like, well, consumer confidence is still high, so everyone's going to carry on buying stuff. This is just a nice little boost. If the market's expanding, then then all is good. Now, the, the difficulty with confidence, of course, is, is that it can turn very, very rapidly. It hinges on things that aren't really there. It's a psychological process rather than a real process of do you have more money or don't you have more money? If you look at consumer spending at the minute, it's quite striking how much return there has been to borrowing by people to pay for all this spending that's taking place really dramatically uh, over over the last probably two years or so now. So this isn't quite back to the 2000s. It's not at that level, but it's getting that way. So what I'll say about confidence is that, look, this can turn rapidly. This is, of course, one of the reasons why, if you're the Bank of England, you want to tell everyone everything's going to be fine, because otherwise their confidence will disappear. OK, so, I mean, I guess we're hoping that, that something like that doesn't happen. But what what, what happens uh, on the ground when you get really bad deflation? Well, it's fairly unusual. This is why people are making a fuss about it. There's not that many instances in recent years of countries that have gone through this sort of process. One that does seem to be going through deflation in a very bad way at the minute is Greece, of course, and the, the economic situation there is disastrous. What it starts to look like or can look like if this spirals out of control is exactly that spiral where you have prices falling, that leads to wages, and salaries falling because people have to cut costs, unemployment rising, nobody's got any money, uh, they're not spending anything, that drags prices down further, that in turn means wages and salaries drop even further and that's the kind of spiral downwards. The major difficulty in all this is when you have debts because although you're, let's imagine you're in this deflationary kind of spiral, although you have less money because you're earning less, you still have to pay your debt and prices of everything is still dropping, your wages are dropping, it means that relatively what you have to pay for those debts, your interest uh, payments and your repayments is becoming more and more of what you earn. So the debt just drags you further and further down. If you're in a country with lots of debt, uh, and Britain is a country with huge debts, mostly, of course, not so much government as households and firms, um, then that's a, a massive concern, I would have thought. So James, we're going to change pace a little bit here uh, with, uh, with a, another cheeky question. Uh, there's a critical EU vote coming up. That's the Eurovision. Uh, which actually I thought was still Terry Wogan's solitary night out of the year, uh, but that just shows how long it is since I've actually watched it. I wanted to know, James, does economics have any part to play in the results of this contest? That's a, a very good question. I, I would have said no, but um, we went and, and Googled it and there was a, a very good paper reported in Nature earlier uh, in the month on the way in which since the crisis, uh, Eurozone crisis, the various countries most affected uh, by the crash have been busily voting for each other and, and weirdly displaying some sort of pan-European solidarity. So basically more votes in the Eurovision Song Contest are getting more and more polarised between creditor nations uh, like Germany and the rest and debtor nations like um, Greece and Portugal and Spain and, and that sort of thing. So presumably, given that they haven't actually sorted out the crisis and Greece is about to default on its debt quite possibly and all that sort of stuff. We'll see some more of that uh, on Saturday. You said you were going to make that funny. No, I tried to make that funny. Oh, was it? <laughs> it was interesting though. Eurovision, Eurovision is quite a serious business. <laughs> okay, James, well, thank you very much for, uh, for trying this week. Speak to you again soon. Thank you. Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. So thank you very much to all of our listeners and subscribers for boosting us to number three in the entire UK iTunes podcast chart and number one in news and politics. You can help us even more by getting your friends to subscribe, getting your nan to subscribe if she's keen, uh, and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week. 
The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.